Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, May 4th. In today's news, the housing market faces its next crisis as May rent and mortgage payments come due. A city in Oklahoma rescinds its order that people wear masks. And Italy's eight-week lockdown, the world's longest, is coming to an end. But first, the big idea. Ian Hayden, a healthy 29-year-old, reported to a medical clinic in Seattle last week for a momentous blood draw. The nurse taking his blood told him it was liquid gold. Ian is an obscure but important participant in the most consequential race for a vaccine in medical history. In early April, he was among the first people in the United States to receive an experimental vaccine that could help end this coronavirus crisis. He volunteered to be a test subject, knowing about the risks and the unknowns, but eager to do his part to help end the worst pandemic in a century. Scientists at the NIH will study blood from Ian and others for signs that the vaccine triggered an immune response to a pathogen they have never encountered. It would be the first preliminary signal that the vaccine could provide immunity to COVID-19, which has claimed more than 200,000 lives worldwide, including at least 67,222 of our fellow Americans. A coronavirus vaccine has become the light at the end of a very long tunnel, the tool that will bring the virus to heal, allowing us to attend sports events, hug our friends, celebrate weddings, and grieve at funerals. The goal to deliver a vaccine in 12 to 18 months has become the one reassuring refrain during briefings on the crisis. The White House put together a task force called Operation Warp Speed to try to move even faster, making hundreds of millions of doses ready by January. With at least 115 vaccine projects at companies and research labs, the science is hurtling forward so fast and bending so many rules about how the process usually works that even veteran vaccine developers do not know what to expect. Scientific steps that typically take place sequentially over years, like animal testing, toxicology studies, laboratory experiments, massive human trials, plans to ramp up production, are now moving in fast forward and in parallel. Experts keep using the word unprecedented. It's a thrilling time in vaccine science, but also an unnerving one. U.S. regulators are firm in promising they will not sacrifice our safety for speed. But some ethicists raise concerns about pandemic research exceptionalism, in which the demand to speed a vaccine to market could come at the expense of evidence and fuel the powerful anti-vaccine lobby. Paul Offit developed the vaccine for rotavirus, which causes deadly diarrhea in infants and children. It took him 26 years to do it. He explains that if you're putting out a vaccine together in 12 to 18 months, you're skipping a lot of steps. Is that a little risky, he said? Yeah, it is. But he added that so is getting infected with the coronavirus. It's all about the trade-offs. Designing a promising vaccine is in some ways the easy part. Showing that it's safe and effective and then scaling up production can take years or even decades in most cases Researchers are now trying to compress that timeline in ways they've never done before against a type of virus they've never successfully quelled. 
In some cases, they're also harnessing technologies that have never been used in approved vaccines. In contrast, scientists develop a new flu vaccine every year, but that's more of a plug-and-play situation where a time-tested basic platform can be redirected to fight new strains of the same old flu. This, though, is different. Scientists at Oxford University have announced the most aggressive timeline with plans to make their vaccine, which depends on a weakened cold virus that typically infects chimpanzees, available as soon as the fall. Moderna and Inovio are developing vaccines that ferry two types of genetic material into cells to train the immune system to recognize the distinctive spike protein on the surface of this novel coronavirus. A Beijing company is trying an inactivated virus. Giant pharmaceutical companies, flush with government funding, are turning their vaccine platforms toward the coronavirus. Researchers at Texas A&M are repurposing an existing tuberculosis vaccine to see whether maybe it can prevent deaths or severe illness. To make things more difficult, as the infection spreads around the world, scientific teams have had to change how they work, practicing social distancing in their labs so the virus doesn't take out the effort to combat it. That's what happened at NIH when one scientist became infected with the coronavirus as he tried to cure it, and then two close colleagues in the effort had to quarantine for 14 days, taking themselves out of the fight. Bill Gates says things really cannot return to normal until the world's 7 billion people are vaccinated. That's a daunting scenario that could take years and create a new kind of public strife as governments and individuals scramble for limited doses. But here's another problem. More than one vaccine will probably be needed because the first one may not be as effective as the follow-ups. The frontrunner vaccines in the U.S. have never been made at an industrial scale, and some vaccines require two doses to be given, further complicating any effort to scale up. There are also likely to be shortages of medical glass. Typically, human clinical trials occur after extensive animal testing. Then, a small number of human subjects receive the vaccine in a phase one trial intended to determine the safety and the right dosage. People are monitored for any side effects as well as early hints that the vaccine works. After carefully analyzing that data, companies then decide to proceed to a larger phase two trial in several hundred patients, which, again, looks for side effects and signs the vaccine is working. Then they go to a larger phase three trial in which people are randomly assigned to receive either the vaccine or a dummy shot. That's the definitive gold standard test of safety and effectiveness. That often takes thousands of patients in several years. Dr. Offit, who's helping advise the U.S. vaccine effort, says that these large trials being considered that he's aware of related to the coronavirus are planning to include somewhere between 1,000 to 6,000 people and take place over months instead of years. In contract, when he, in contrast, when he developed that vaccine against the rotavirus, his pivotal trial included 70,000 healthy infants over four years. The human papillomavirus vaccine was tested in 30,000 people before it was released. Those are what's typical. No one's talking about anything like that for any of the coronavirus treatments. Moderna, the company that manufactures the vaccine that Ian received in Seattle last week, said it plans to start its next larger trial in 500 to 600 people this spring. Instead of holding off until the subjects have signs in their blood that the vaccine works, they're going to proceed to the next trial as soon as it shows safety. 
The company hopes to sign a contract soon with a government agency so that they can start manufacturing and stockpiling the vaccine even before it's been approved. They could have 100 million doses ready to go that way on day one if it's approved in a year. If it's not approved, then it's all for naught. But vaccine experts point out that rare safety problems often can be identified only in very large studies or even through monitoring after a vaccine has been deployed. One of the things that people I talk to are most concerned about is the risk that the vaccines could actually make the disease worse in some people, as happened in some animal studies of vaccines for severe acute respiratory syndrome, known as SARS, through a mechanism called antibody-dependent enhancement. In 1966, for instance, an experimental vaccine for RSV, a common respiratory virus in children, backfired when some kids developed a more severe disease. Scientific debate is still raging about a dengue vaccine used in the Philippines in recent years that increased the risk of hospitalization for dengue in children who had not previously been infected. One way to speed up vaccine development is human challenge experiments in which people are intentionally infected with the virus after being vaccinated. Volunteers for such a challenge effort have already flooded an online sign-up created by a grassroots group of researchers. Scientists are hopeful that enthusiasm will fill up all the trials necessary to prove the vaccines work. That will mean people willing to be test subjects for unproven vaccines with thinner-than-usual animal evidence behind them. It will also mean people volunteering for trials in which half of them get a placebo. It may mean people weighing a vaccine whose benefits and risks aren't fully known against the risk of the virus itself. While this idea has gained steam among some scientists, many who are working on vaccine trials say it is an ethically fraught approach that they would be uncomfortable with unless an effective treatment is discovered for the coronavirus. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this week. Number one, millions of homeowners and renters are already behind on payments in this economic collapse as the jobless ranks continue to grow. For 13 years, Danny Catalanado paid his more than $2,000 mortgage on his Bowie, Maryland home on time every month. But when work as a church organist dried up in mid-March, Danny says he thought his mortgage company could help out. Instead, the large Texas-based mortgage collection firm called Mr. Cooper said Danny could defer his monthly payments temporarily, but he'd have to pay it all back in one lump sum. It would be like $10,000 by then. And Danny wonders how he'd come up with that kind of money when he's been out of work. While aggressive federal and state intervention and temporary corporate measures have prevented a surge in evictions and foreclosures for now, the housing and rental market has fallen into a severe crisis that threatens the ability of millions of Americans to stay in their homes even if the pandemic eases in the coming months and we get the vaccine on time. The speed and broad reach of the disruption are likely to pit landlords and mortgage companies against homeowners and renters, with each side claiming it needs more assistance and fueling calls for billions in new bailouts for the housing sector. The tension could explode this week as mortgage and rental payments come due for millions of Americans who've lost their jobs. This is especially true in high-priced regions where the stimulus payments of $1,200 per adult for those making under $75,000 a year are unlikely to cover more than a month of rent or mortgage, if that. 
Already, at least 3.8 million homeowners have sought mortgage relief and were not making their payments by the end of April. That's a 2,400% increase from March. The number is likely to increase drastically as the unemployment rate hits levels unseen since the Great Depression. The problems facing the country's 40 million households in rentals are potentially more dire, with advocates calling for rent strikes across the country and a $100 billion bailout fund. In April, about 10% of tenants didn't pay rent to their landlords. And this morning, J. Crew became the first major retailer to declare bankruptcy during this pandemic. The New York-based company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, but said it did so after reaching an agreement with its creditors to restructure approximately $1.7 billion in debt, which will allow it to remain in business. Number two, some local officials across the country are backing off requirements that people wear masks inside businesses as cities, counties, and states, left to devise their own guidelines in the absence of federal leadership, run into limits on their ability to maintain public health precautions with stay-at-home orders easing. The issue pushed a small Oklahoma city into the national spotlight over the weekend, after leaders quickly withdrew a mandate to don masks inside reopened stores and restaurants, citing threats of violence and physical abuse directed at employees of those establishments by recalcitrant and selfish customers. The mayor of Stillwater, Oklahoma, apologized to businesses for putting them in a dangerous position, as some people responded virulently when they were told they had to wear a mask to come inside. Mayor Will Joyce said Sunday that he doesn't have the kind of police force that can go out and try to deal with every single one of these people who aren't willing to wear the masks. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, a Republican, also backed away from an order requiring masks over the weekend. He said he realized it was, quote, just a bridge too far because people were not going to accept the government telling them what to do. But he said he still highly recommends people wear masks, and it is the right thing to do. Whole Foods announced today that it will begin giving free disposable face masks starting this week to customers at all its stores. The supermarket chain's already been providing masks to employees. And Costco has announced that it will require shoppers effective today to wear masks in its stores across the country. Number three. Beginning today, Italians will once again be able to visit relatives, go for runs in the park, and get takeout from restaurants for the first time in more than two months. Roughly four million people who work in manufacturing and construction will return to their jobs today. Many restrictions, however, remain in place. Stores that are deemed non-essential will remain closed, along with hairdressers, gyms, bars, and movie theaters. The number of new cases and fatalities in that country, 1,389 and 174 respectively, were the lowest yesterday since March 10th. Iceland is also emerging from its six-week lockdown today, with just 10 recorded coronavirus deaths. Iceland's success has been attributed to its small size. It only has about 350,000 people, but also its aggressive early response. After a handful of people became infected with the virus in late February, detectives hurried to track down everyone they'd been in contact with and place them in quarantine. And New Zealand reported zero new cases yesterday of the virus, which the country's top health official says is cause for celebration, while also imploring residents not to ease up on the social distancing. That country is now under a slightly less restrictive stay-at-home order, with businesses allowed to reopen as long as they can operate without coming into contact with customers. And in London, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his fiancée, Kerry, 
announced that they have named their newborn son Wilfred Nicholas Johnson. Johnson said they picked the middle name Nicholas because the two doctors who saved his life when he was in the ICU and wasn't sure whether he'd make it or not were named Nick Hart and Nick Price. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, May 4th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow.